Hello and welcome to the podcast. Glad you are with us. We are back. I am so sorry that we have not been able to record our sermons uh, every week. I like doing it in this podcast format. I think it it just kind of gives it a little bit different vibe than if you were just listening to uh, the sermon on Sunday. There's a different medium. Uh, there's a different way of communication uh, depending on the medium, you know. So, so preaching on a Sunday morning, I think I talk a little bit differently when I preach than than when I do an audio podcast. And uh, so, I, I just want to be a, as effective as a communicator as I can as we as we podcast. And so, um, my my old rig was broken, and it was very challenging to record 35 to 45 minutes at a time. And so, I have a new system so I can do that now. So. So we're back, and this will be uh, this will be happening every single week. Uh, so I'm glad that you found this. I'm glad that you are listening. So we're continuing our series, Advent Conspiracy, and today we're talking about how we worship, how what we do around uh, Christmas to worship. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter two, starting in verse one through eight. If you're driving in your car, please don't read scripture and drive at the same time. It's probably dangerous, so you can just listen. It says this. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. This story starts off with about about these Magi who come from the east. Now the Magi... Uh, they're basically pagan philosophers, astrologists, and they come from the priestly ruling class of Eastern culture. And we, we always talk about, you know, three wise men, you know, you probably have a nativity and uh, they don't, they never put two or four. It's always three. And that's because how many gifts does Jesus receive from the wise men? Three. But uh, but mostly scholars believe there's probably more than than, than just three. Um and so they come looking for the one who has been born king of the Jews, and they go to Herod. Hey, have you? Um, we're we're looking for this for this baby who's been born king of the Jews. And it says that Herod and all of Jerusalem are greatly disturbed by this. And the reason why they're disturbed is because they are told that there is a new king on the scene. Now, if you know something about kingdoms, it usually doesn't work if there's two. There's usually one king. And so if there's a new king, that means that anybody who has power, anybody who has influence is is feeling threatened. 
And so this is this is this is very disturbing for Herod and for all those who find themselves in any sort of powerful role. And so Herod, he's this guy, and he's the current king set up by Rome to oversee Palestine. And uh, and and Herod, he he has a lot to lose. Uh, Herod, when people describe Herod. They, they describe him as impressive, effective, and successful. His kingdom was, was large and it was extremely wealthy. And one of the things that Herod did was he just built and built and built and built. And so he, he actually had seven palaces that were all larger than Caesar's. So the guy, the guy probably had a little bit of an ego. Now, usually I think six is excessive, but, you know, seven. He had seven palaces all bigger than caesar's and rome actually really liked herod because he did an impressive job of building but he also kept the peace uh and one of the ways that he kept the peace was that he he was the guy who built the jewish temple it it was under his uh, watch that the temple was built and so he pleased many jewish leaders and so they found themselves kind of at herod's mercy and so yeah he's kind of a bad guy he's kind of shady but he did build us the temple i mean herod he's known for uh he killed his favorite wife he had some, he had 10 wives and he he killed his favorite he killed some of his mother-in-laws uh, he uh, he killed cousins, he killed uncles, he actually had two of his own sons killed because he thought they were plotting to overthrow him. He just thought they were plotting to overthrow him. You know, when uh, scholars say that when Herod, he was coming to the end of his life and he knew it, he, he had this idea to gather all the Jewish leaders into a stadium and have them all executed so that people would grieve. This is just the kind of guy that Herod is. And the reality is, is that many people uh, in Jerusalem have aligned themselves with Herod because he's built the temple. And so you kind of have to take Herod for what you get. You have, you have this nasty ruler who's built massive palaces and buildings and his kingdom is quite impressive, but he is a tyrant. And so when he gets word that there is the that the king of the Jews has been born he and all the other people who have power feel threatened. And the reality is, is the reason why they feel threatened is because they have a lot to lose. Isn't that true with anxiety and fear? That we tend to have more anxiety and more fear when we have more to lose. Have you ever saved up money for something? Maybe it's that car you've always wanted or or maybe it's some gadget. And and then when you get it, you you treat it with like, you know, the, the term little kid gloves. You 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 treat it very gently. You know, because you realize if you were to lose it, you would feel more depressed than when you didn't have it at all. Why? Because you have more to lose and so we see the way that herod lives is with extreme anxiety and extreme fear 
Now, I think one of the things we're supposed to see in Scripture is we're supposed to contrast Herod with Mary and Joseph. Because if you think about it, shouldn't it be Mary and Joseph the ones that live with anxiety and fear? But if you remember last week, Mary, when she finds out that she is pregnant, she calls herself blessed. Now, just a reminder that Mary, she's a teenage girl, she's unmarried, she finds out she's pregnant while she's engaged to a guy, and they have no place to have a baby. Now, I don't know about you, I've never been pregnant before, and I've never been searching for a place to have a baby, but I would imagine that that would create quite a bit of anxiety. And it's interesting, the people in this story who are filled with anxiety and fear are the people who have a lot to lose. So we have Herod and the establishment who have palaces, who have power, who have authority, are threatened by a baby born in a barn. Now here's the irony. Is that when we go to worship this Christmas... One of the ways we do that is going and buying gifts for people. You know, sometimes I wonder if, you know, aliens were to land. Have you seen the movie Arrival? Maybe something like that. If aliens were to land and were to observe us during Christmas, I wonder if they would associate what we do with Jesus. It might look like this, that we get in our cars and we drive to these massive parking lots and we park yards, hundreds of yards away from this large, ornate temple. And then we get out of our cars and we walk towards this large, ornate temple and it has these large sliding glass doors that welcome and draw us in. And they're always clean and they're immaculate inside. And then lining the walls are no windows, but actually all these altars. And above is this skylight to make it seem like it's natural light. And we we stroll through this large temple and then we go and we pick out an item And then we take it to the altar and we hand them our credit card for the money that we have earned or our debit card for the money that we have earned. We don't use credit here. And then we purchase this shirt, this gift, whatever it may be. And then we leave the temple, get into our car, we wrap it up and we give it as a gift to somebody All to celebrate Christmas. It's a strange way in which we worship Jesus. Now, don't don't get me wrong. I love gifts. I love giving gifts. I like receiving gifts. There's nothing wrong with giving gifts and receiving gifts. That, That is all a good thing. But I wonder if the way we worship is actually worship, right? Is this really the best way that we can worship a baby born in a barn who has nothing? Because there's this other layer, there's this other component to Christmas is that there are these large corporations, these large businesses that feed you ads um, 
right? I think I saw my the first Christmas ad back in October while I was watching the World Series, while I was watching the Cubs win the World Series. I think I saw the first Christmas ad back in October. And what they do is they use the language of Christmas to get us to go and spend money so that then we can worship this Christmas, right? Because isn't giving gifts to our friends and family and people that we love a way that we kind of worship? And I don't think that's a bad thing. I think that's okay. But I think sometimes we have to look critically at what we're doing this holiday season. Like, is is really the best way to worship Jesus to go and spend more money that we're told to spend so that businesses can then make more money by using worship language. I don't know. I, I, I think it should raise us some real questions about what we are doing this Christmas. Um, so how is it that we should worship? How is it that... How is it that we should be worshiping this Christmas? And I think I think we need to worship in the way that Jesus came. Uh, and, and the example that we get in Scripture is that God, he actually gives of himself. That, that, yeah, you can go and you can spend your money and give a gift. But maybe what a better gift would be is maybe just our presence, our being present. Now, I, I, I don't encourage you guys to just tell your wife, hey, you know what? I didn't get you anything, dear, because this Christmas I'm just going to be completely present. I don't know if that would work. Um, try it and let come back to me. Uh, shoot me an email and let me know how that goes. But I, but I wonder if maybe the way that we actually worship is is through our presence, through giving our up of ourselves. Because I think as, as Westerners, as Americans, we are really, really good with consumer language, right? It's really, really easy for us to understand, I worked hard for this money, I labored, and now I'm going to take this money and spend it to buy somebody a gift because we're really good at purchasing. In fact, our whole economy, the success of our nation is built upon buying and selling. And so it's very natural for us to give in those ways. And I wonder if sometimes we have to explore the way we give and maybe expand the way we give in order to be able to worship. And the way that 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 I believe we can worship is through presence because that's what God does for us. He come and dwells among us. You know, it's not like God just throws money at the problem, right? It's not that, that people needed more money. They needed more wealth. They needed more things. But in fact, what we needed was God's presence. We needed him with us. So one of the things we did this last Sunday was I encouraged people to bring uh, empty jars from home. And then during our fellowship time, people decorated them and made them all look fancy. And then they took, they, they took them home and what they're doing, they're, they're filling them with, uh, with money, the money they would have spent at Starbucks and whatnot. 
and then on Christmas, uh, everybody's going to bring it back, and and it's all going to help send one of uh, the girls in our denomination to Cambodia who feels called to go and minister in Cambodia. And one of the ways that I challenged our congregation is we're not just putting money in here, but what we are doing, we're investing in somebody who is giving up of them, who's giving of themselves to the work that God is doing. And, and may it serve as a reminder for us that, that when, we, when we're putting money in that jar, that we are enabling somebody to go and be part of what God is doing. And shouldn't it be a reminder for us to give of ourselves? Scott Sward, one of our missionaries in Cambodia, uh, he, he always says, you know what, we don't really need your money. What we really need is your prayers. And then on top of that, we also need your children. You see, see those we, we know how to give with money, right? We can all open up our wallets, and whether we have a lot or a little, we can all give because we're used to that. But I think one of the things that, that uh, my friend Scott, he, he challenges us, is when we take time to pray, we're, we're actually giving of ourselves, aren't we? We're giving of our time. How often do do people just say, oh, you know what? I just don't have enough time. I can't do it. I'm running out of time. I'm just so busy. But it really does require an effort. It requires us to give of ourselves, to take a moment, to be quiet, to turn off our phone, to turn off the TV, to sit and really pray for the work going on in Cambodia. And the other thing he says is, is that, you know, we need your children, that we as churches need to be raising up the next generation of missionaries that are going to go out onto the mission field. And so oftentimes we get really, really good at giving the ways that we're used to, opening up our pocketbooks and do this exchange at a counter and we receive something. But maybe the way that we need to give is the way that God gives to us, and that's through presence. And that's through actually being present. You know, it's interesting, at the heart of this story, you have these philosophers and redneck shepherds who find... God in a barn. Meanwhile, you have these large, lavish buildings built by an empire, built by greed. You have this temple that was built by a tyrant where people go to find God. And I wonder how often, how often are we looking for God in the wrong places? We're looking for God in these big, magnificent buildings how often are we looking at god looking for god in our pocketbooks in our bank accounts and meanwhile god is doing something on the fringes with the people who are poor and the people that are broken so here we have people on the edge of society enjoying the presence of god emmanuel god with us while the culture at large is completely missing it. You know, I think I think there's a lot for us to critique here about about where we go when when we look for the presence of God. Um, you know, one of it was interesting during this election season, it was fascinating 
um, listening to what people in my tribe were, were looking for in a president. Um, and, and one of my critiques of, of us as Christians is that sometimes we, we get really wrapped up on these issues of this idea of religious freedom, that, that we want this freedom to practice our religion and, and that freedom comes from, from whoever is in power so that the, the things that we say are scripturally, uh, important are played out in our democratic process, but the reality is, is that nowhere in Scripture does it promise for us to be free to practice our faith. Nowhere in Scripture does it say that in fact you're go- you need security and you should seek that out. Nowhere in our in Scripture does it say that 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 prosperity is a sign of blessing, and yet. This, these are the places that oftentimes we as Christians go. We go to the empire to seek these things. We go to the, we go to the legislation. We go to the president. We go to those things to have these freedoms when in fact they actually have nothing to do with what God promises us. And then you look at this Christmas story about Mary and Joseph who are fleeing a tyrant. They have their baby in a barn and all of a sudden, we realize that this Christmas story is extremely dangerous. So how is it that we can worship this Christmas season? And I think it's, it's we have to look at what we're giving ourselves to and maybe learn to give in a different way. So I want to challenge us this Christmas season is that maybe we need to actually spend less and give more of ourselves, more time and more energy to the people around us. Maybe we need to give more time and more energy to our churches. Maybe we need to give more time and more energy to our spouses, to our kids. Because the way that the world is transformed is through God's presence with us. And I think Oftentimes, what if we were just more present in our churches with our families? What if we were more intentional with our time rather than just saying, oh, I'm on this time crunch. I have to get this done. There's no time for you. There's no time for the work being done by the church. There's no time for Cambodia. There's no time for my neighbor who's hurting. What if we actually gave of ourselves? So I'm inviting you to spend less on thoughtless gifts and maybe give more meaningful gifts with our time and with our presence. And may you find the Christ not in shopping malls, not in large establishments, but may you find him in the smallness, in the weakest and most vulnerable of places. May you seek him, and when you seek him, you will find him. Go in grace and peace.